listening to Over the Oxa podcast with Tracy Cole for all things to do with the mind for equestrians. Last time I was talking about limiting beliefs and it got me thinking about other styles of beliefs, limiting beliefs, ways of being, ways of thinking that sometimes it's difficult to tease out and see what we're doing but we are doing it. So I thought I would take four or five of some of the common ways that we can self-sabotage by entering into a belief system that feels quite right. It, It feels as though we have to do something and we should do something and it becomes a habit And we can see it in riders as well. So you can see somebody who is striving to be really good, but you can also see someone who is totally obsessed with being perfect. So again, like a lot of the things that we chat about, there's a positive aspect and then you overstep a mark and you go into an extreme version, which is really unhelpful. So the first one that I want to talk about is the perfectionist. So perfectionists often feel like failures. So even when they get 99.9% success, they dwell on that 0.1% and will consider themselves a failure. So it will loom large in their mind, whatever it was that they missed or they tripped up on. And of course, most people don't get 99.9% when they're trying to learn something or develop a skill, they get 50% or 60%. So perfectionists constantly live in this mode of failure. They constantly feel like they're not good enough and they're constantly striving for the unachievable. The second group of people that I'd like to think about are the overachievers. So the overachiever may have overachieved at any point in their life, but very often it's things like school. So they were good at a range of subjects at school. Maybe they were good at all the subjects at school. Maybe they were good at all the sports at school. Maybe they were really, really artistically orientated and they were really good at anything arty. They could just do it. And these kind of behaviours start to become rather unhelpful, maladaptive, when you step over that line and you think you've got to keep overachieving. You've got to keep being the best. You've got to keep being not just good at something, but totally successful at something. And it's a little bit like the perfectionist, but it's slightly different in that you constantly want to be good at a range of things. It's not that you've honed in on one aspect of your life. You want to be good at everything. So you want to be a fabulous mother or fabulous father or a wonderful sister and friend. You want to be a wonderful work colleague. You want to be highly regarded in every way. You want to have a successful business. You want to be a perfect rider with floaty motions that people adore. And you also want to be adored, by the way. 
So the overachiever feels the need to constantly keep overachieving. And they don't set off on any course of action until they feel as though they're an expert. And most people like this don't actually feel that they are an expert at any time. So it could be a rider who would love to go out and do a dressage test or love to go out and do a clear round show jumping or would love to go to a clinic. But they never quite feel that they're at the right stage. They never quite feel that they've got all the skills. They don't turn it around and think, I'm going to go out and learn or I'm going to go to a clinic or a lesson and add to my skills or develop my skills. It's always, I've got to be an expert first. I've got to wait. There's a lot of waiting around. Once they get to a certain level, there's more waiting for some reason. There's always some kind of block on them. The next person is the truly independent miss, independent misses or independent mister, independent mix. This person is so independent that they wouldn't dream of asking somebody for help. They see that as a failure, as total weakness. So you often find people who work with horses are a little bit like this. So they try and do everything, try and do the mucking out, the care for the horse, the grooming the horse, the feed plans for the horse, the riding the horse, the taking the horse out to competitions. They don't see it as being a lot easier or they may see it as being a lot easier if they were part of a team, but they don't see the possibility of the team actually helping them to get on further with their career or expanding their business. So they don't see it as a positive. Taking somebody on would almost be an admission that they can't do something or they're not good or good enough at something. So this person has total belief that they personally have got to do it all themselves. And they might listen to other people and know other people who employ people, get help with things. It could be somebody not necessarily who runs their own business. It could be someone who steadfastly wants to do everything in their horsey journey on their own. They don't really like having lessons They don't really like calling in an expert. They wouldn't call in a nutritionist or a behaviorist or any other kind of ist. They they wouldn't do that. They would search the internet. They would do their own research. They would spend hours and hours doing it. They don't think that actually employing somebody else to help them would be a way to speed things up rapidly and to avoid some of the mistakes that are common mistakes. The next one is the people who are naturally very high achievers. So they're a little bit like the overachiever. They, But in this case, it's always been easy. So sometimes with overachievers, it's been easy and other times they tend to have worked hard for where they are and what they've got and the success that they've had. The high achiever in this case that I'm speaking about just did everything very naturally. No effort required. 
everything was a breeze, starting from school and going through all their other education, going through jobs, everything was easy. And when you, again, you overstep the line, then these people, the unhelpful side of these people is that they can tend towards thinking that if something is hard or they've got to actually apply quite a bit of effort, then they're no good at it and they can't do it and they're a failure. So because they've been so used to success throughout their life, they've not really gone through any stumbling blocks. The minute they do go through a stumbling block or they have to put in quite a lot of time, effort, maybe money to achieve something, then they start to feel like they really haven't achieved. They've cheated. They are only good enough if they do lots and lots of legwork. And that for them is a failure. Now, all of these different styles of limiting beliefs or self-sabotage, whatever you want to call them, and I'm going to call them something that might sound a bit harsh, a little bit cruel, and I don't mean it that way. I almost mean it so that we all, and this is me included because I can tick off quite a few of those descriptions, then I'm going to think of them as a style of self-imposed victimhood. They've become a victim of their own thinking and they're a victim of needing to prove themselves, needing to work too hard. It's a kind of distortion that some people believe is to do with the masculine side of us. So whether you are male, female or non-binary or whatever you are, we all have within us masculine traits and feminine traits. And sometimes these are perfect. These are wonderful and they work for us when they work in balance. But if we get too much of something, then it starts to impact on our lives. So the victimhood that we're talking about with all of these, when we're talking about somebody striving somebody almost fighting something, somebody running from something, you know, fearful of this failure thing, fearful of how they look, fearful of their own way of thinking about themselves, thinking about how others perceive them. And this word failure popping up quite a lot. This is all to do with the masculine side. This is a, a kind of masculine victimhood. Some people call it wounded masculine. And so what we need to do is to almost balance it up to not necessarily become more feminine, but soften the edges of some of these traits. Because in and of themselves, some of these traits are really good. It's only when we take it to an extreme that we start to have problems. So the perfectionism is the key one, isn't it? It's lovely to do something perfectly. It's lovely to strive to be really good at something and to enjoy it and to lose the obsession and to just keep chipping away. There's nothing unhealthy about that. It's when it oversteps that mark and it does become obsessive it does become something that you really, really 
believe you have to do in order to prove yourself as a person or prove yourself as a rider or prove yourself in any sphere. And the same with the overachiever. There's nothing wrong with hard work, but when we overstep the mark, then you start to think about burnout and stress and anxiety. There's nothing wrong with somebody who wants to know everything, who loves learning, who loves gathering knowledge. That's fantastic. It's just that if it puts you in a position where you feel stuck because you're not the world expert yet, and until you realise that you're in this mode of thinking, you will remain stuck like that, constantly needing to get more information, get more learning, acquire more skills, and you won't actually take action and move forward in the way that you'd really love to do. The independent person, the person who's too independent, because of course being independent, that's great. Stand on your own two feet, look after yourself, take care of yourself, nothing wrong with that. But when it dips into that other side, when it dips into the maladaptive side, then it stops being healthy because you can struggle. For many years, you can even give up on things because you didn't ask for help or seek out help. And you didn't see help as actually a way of speeding up and expediting wherever you want to be. You saw it as weakness. The natural high achiever, the person who's sort of breezed through exams, the learning of some kind of skill set, or whatever it might be, life has been quite easy. They need to understand that we're all on a learning journey, that at some point there will be something that you try to do that doesn't come 100% naturally and easily. And that sometimes we have to apply quite a bit of effort. That doesn't mean anything bad. That simply means that we're expanding. We're pushing our comfort zone wider and wider. We're stretching ourselves. It doesn't mean that we're a failure. It doesn't mean that we're no good just because we've got to apply quite a bit of effort. Now, the key to any of these, the key to unlocking yourself out of these is, first of all, to recognize yourself in any of the descriptions. And at various times in my life, I've probably gone into at least three of those. Just I'm just gazing at my notes. Probably three, probably more than three in different times of my life and different areas of life. And has it done me any good? No absolutely not. And before I learned anything about mindset, I did what most people do and I stayed where I was. And I continued to push myself and I continued to keep striving and desperately wanting stuff. And it didn't get me there any quicker. It probably slowed me down. So what I should have done was to acknowledge that this wasn't helping me. Instead of thinking, well, if I just work 10 times harder, then everything will fall into place. So the recognition is massive. If you recognize yourself or you recognize that you're veering towards any of these, that's huge. And then what I could have done all those years ago 
was to start to do a bit of free writing on it, a bit of journaling, and work out what the important parts for me. So the important part for me might be what was the root of this, because it's simply a pattern that my mind has jumped onto. So it must have started somewhere. And did it start when I was a little girl? Did it start much later? Why is it carried on? It's just probably carried on because I didn't stop it. I just allowed it to carry on. And once I can see that it's simply an old pattern that might have come from being, you know, six or seven, eight, nine, ten years old, then I can look at it and think, why am I doing a pattern that comes from childhood that didn't serve me then and absolutely does not serve me now? So, for instance, when I was young, I did a lot of swimming and I was in the swimming club and I was an okay swimmer in the club. I wasn't the best in the club. I wasn't the worst. I found swimming quite a challenge. I was a sprinter or supposed to be, supposed to go fast, which I quite like because sprinting's always quick rather than long distance. Couldn't have done long distance. Would have driven me mad. Like to get it all over and done with. But when I think back to what my attitude was like as a child, swimming up and down and wanting to be faster and wanting to get better times. Was I aiming for perfectionism? I think I was to an extent, but not too much that it was unhealthy. I was trying to get my style of swimming the most efficient so that I didn't have to put as much effort in. I was a very lazy swimmer. I wasn't particularly overachieving. Did I come to swimming naturally. I did at first. I did find swimming really, really easy at first. The very first time I had swimming lessons, I found it really, really easy. It was just something that I could do. So when I went into the swimming club and I was with people roughly my age, but some were a little bit older as well, then all of a sudden I had to really work to keep up with them. And I think that had some kind of psychological effect on me that I thought, I don't really need to work at things. How come I've got to work at this? I mustn't be very good at it. But I was also very, very independent as well. And I think I've been independent and too independent quite a lot in my life. And I tried to figure out my swimming blocks and problems. I didn't really have problems as such, but, you know, trying to get better, trying to get faster, trying to make my dive into the water much more efficient rather than the belly flop that I used to do. And I think that had I known anything about mindset, it would have massively helped me to become a better swimmer much more quickly. In the event, I gave up swimming. I gave up swimming for lots of reasons. And some of them now are kind of like myths, if you like. And I think, was was that really true? Or was that just something I told myself so many times that I started to believe it? But I did give it up because it, it did take a lot of effort. And there were other things that I could do that didn't seem to need quite so much effort. It's quite difficult to breathe as well, you know, when you're really, really puffed out. I hated that. Hated that feeling of not being able to breathe too much. 
And I also felt because I wasn't one of the older children in the club that I was on catch up and that I had to learn quickly so that I could be as good as them. But it, again, it wasn't a healthy kind of chase me Charlie. I was desperate to be as good as them, even though they might have been two years older than me, three years older than me. So I can see very much that maybe my patterns started with that swimming, but it doesn't mean that they stayed with swimming. It means that they probably expanded into different parts of my life and that I was repeating the patterns that were to do with a swimming club when I was a little girl and I was repeating the patterns in my jobs, in my home life, in my riding. And so those patterns really, why on earth were they there? What purpose did they serve? They were set up for not good reasons anyway, but they were set up for swimming, childhood swimming. So once I could see that, then I could see them for what they were. I could see them as useless and old and unwanted and totally unnecessary and totally irrelevant. And when I did that, when I was able to journal more on that much, much later in life, then when I saw them, it was almost like these beliefs, these self-sabotage mechanisms, was like they started to fade. That's the only way that I can describe it. It was almost like they were solid blocks and all of a sudden they became thinner and thinner and thinner and they became like net curtains, you know, just a piece of net and then they got really, really, really flimsy until they went all together. So have a little think about whether any of these different limiting beliefs, self-sabotage, victimhoods, whatever you want to call them, whether they apply to you. Do they apply to you as a rider? Do they apply to you as a rider and in other areas? Where did they start? Have a little think, journal on it, because journaling helps you to think quite easily. You might need to doodle if no thoughts come, but it helps to bring out these deeper meanings. And once you've got that root cause, then you start to think, this is a load of rubbish. This this has absolutely no bearing on my life whatsoever. And in that moment, you change. Thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Take care and I'll see you again very soon.